Hello and welcome to The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I am Adam Riley, and if you're a Scrum listener, you've probably noticed that Peter Kadzis and I have been on a de facto summer sabbatical for a while now. But I'm happy to say that we are back and we have a ton of stuff to talk about. There's the mayoral race in Boston, the Democrats who are fighting for the right to take on Governor Charlie Baker in 2018, and of course, the Republican primary for U.S. Senate, which I got to say might be the most intriguing race out there. Today, though, I am not talking about any of that. Instead, I'm discussing the recent appointment of a new U.S. attorney for Massachusetts. And I'm joined by Maria Kramer of the Boston Globe. Maria, hello and congratulations on the new beat. Thank you. What's your official title? Is it is it legal reporter, legal correspondent? What should I be calling you? I think it depends on what's happening that day, but I would say a legal affairs reporter is a nice general way to identify me. It has a commanding ring to it. Okay. <laughs> Maria, thank you for being here. That's Maria Kramer, legal affairs reporter for the Boston Globe. And I'm also joined by my WGBH News colleague, Philip Martin, who has reported extensively on criminal justice and on the U.S. Department of Justice here in Massachusetts. Philip, thank you for being here. Adam, thank you. Much appreciated. Let me start off with the obvious question. Who is Andrew Lelling? What are the important parts of this guy's bio that people should know about? Okay, I'll start. Well, Andrew Lelling, he's a unknown quantity in many ways. He's been at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Boston for 12 years. So he's a veteran. You know, I mean, he's definitely been around the block. Um, he's a father of two. He lives in Sharon with his wife, Dana. And he's also prosecuted some high-profile cases. I'm thinking most recently of uh, Telefree Inc. I think, I don't know if you remember that one, but it's a terrible case um, where three there was a $3 billion pyramid scheme. A lot of people were affected by it, especially in Massachusetts. And he presided over that prosecution. And also the the, the Cod Father. You know, we've all heard about that case. So so those are his two high profile ones. In case there's anyone listening who isn't familiar with the story of the Cod Father, can you give a Cliff's Notes version? Sure. The Cod Father um, is the name given to Carlos Rafael, who was this New Bedford fishing magnate who essentially um, um, mislabeled hundreds and thousands of pounds of fish so that he could skirt federal regulations and boost his profits. And um, it's pretty much brought the fishing industry in New Bedford to a standstill because it was he was just such a big part of it. But anyway, Andrew Lelling was part of that prosecution as well. But, you know, beyond that, there's there's not a whole lot that people know about him. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've been told that even judges in the federal courthouse are like, who? Really? Uh, well, yes, because he's not often in the courtroom. Uh, you know, he handles white collar crime. And so, uh, that, you know, the cases don't often get before the judge. So, yes, you know, people have have wondered who this man is. And it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, how he shakes out. Philip, would you add anything to the background that Maria just gave us? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Maria's right. Uh, he's sort of a, uh, enigmatic. Uh, it, it's, that's how he's looked at right now. But I think there is a known quantity, and it's uh, this quantity is what uh, basically appealed to the uh, Trump administration and possibly to, uh, to Donald Trump himself. Uh, he's a conservative. He's a member of the Federalist Society, and the Federalist Society uh, is consistently attracts uh, conservatives, some very far right, uh, as well as libertarians. I, it's not clear where he stands politically within that spectrum, uh, but he is uh, decidedly a, a conservative. He was appointed as special litigation counsel four years ago by Carmen Ortiz. She spoke highly of uh, of him, uh, but also uh, cautious in the sense that she uh, 
uh, is not sure why he was appointed, but only that he is she sees him as competent. Wait a minute. I want to make sure I understand. This. So Carmen mm-hmm. Ortiz, the former U.S. attorney, appointed him. Did you just say that she spoke cautiously about him at the time she was announcing his appointment? Oh, no, no. I mean, recently in commenting on him, I interviewed uh, Carmen Ortiz about a week ago after uh, the appointment was announced. And she spoke, again, she spoke highly of uh, this individual, of Leiling, but cautious in the sense of... uh, basically explaining these are always political appointments, but also explaining that he is professional, that he uh, took his job as special litigation counsel very seriously, and that that's the first thing, that's the primary point for her. Uh, but uh, but also acknowledging that, of course, these are political appointments, and he will serve at the behest of, a, uh, of, of the Trump administration, considered a controversial administration, and considered, you know, like, uh, again, decidedly, decidedly conservative. It's Perhaps been, even right wing. It's been reported that uh, Bill Weinreb, who was the acting U.S. attorney, that he wanted the job and that he may not have gotten the job for, among other reasons, the fact or because of the fact that he uh, has donated money to Democratic politicians over the years. Andrew Lelling has given to Republicans. How badly did Weinreb want the job and were people surprised when he didn't get it? So the interesting thing about about Bill Weinreb is the donations were actually made by his wife, not by himself. And I love real-time <laughs> corrections. They're the best kind. Well, Thank I think Maria. it was reported that it was that it was he who had donated directly, and it wasn't. And, and but it did really hurt him. There was this very negative Howie Carr article about him, and I think that the headline was something like "Not the man for the job." Um, so it, you know, and Howie Carr definitely uh, is somebody who who. You know, Trump's Trump. Um, we we see him all the time on Twitter, and and he you know speaks very lovingly of the president. This so, is Boston Herald columnist Mara Alago, member and I believe parent of a uh, either a previous or a future White House intern, Howie Carr. There you go. Mm-hmm. So so I I don't know how much influence that article had over 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 the appointment, but uh, or over the nomination process, but it it didn't help. Um, and you know, the other theory I heard was that. Andrew Lelling also had the right connections um, in terms of you know the White House uh, connections, Department of Justice connections. He worked under, um, he worked in the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice under George W. Bush, and and um, the man who was backing the man who was backing Bill Weinreb was Rod Rosenstein, who, as we know, um, appointed the special prosecuting that attorney. That is fascinating. I didn't know that about Rosenstein. So they were part of the same Harvard class, Harvard law class. I, you know, and these are theories, right? Yes. We can't really know what goes into the appointment of these men. Um, there was also, I should say, a woman who was in the running, Leah Foley, and uh, and and she also, obviously, as we know, did not get it, but. At the at the end of the day, we have no idea why Andrew Lelling got it over Bill Weinreb. This is just kind of you know the the, the parlor <laughs> room discussion and and whispering that happens when these kinds of appointments happen. But I think we can conclude that Weinreb. I don't think Weinreb had, Weinreb had a chance uh, at all for this position. I think he was in the running. Yes, uh, that is to say, formally that they had him in the running. But I don't think he, had, he stood a chance for a lot of reasons. I don't think it was just a question of the Democratic. Um, donations uh, by his wife that he was that was attributed to him by Howie Carr. And Howie Carr, by the way, led it was it, it was an article. Yes. But he led a virtual jihad against uh, against Weinreb. He, he absolutely spoke dismissively of him. Uh, he uh, it's fair to say that Howie Carr has the ear of uh, of, of Donald Trump. He uh, uh, worked with him 
uh, in New Hampshire. He campaigned. Yeah, he campaigned he, for he, him. He he uh, has, as you pointed out, a member of, of his uh, of his golf club. Uh, he has been in touch with him for years, and so I don't think it was just casual. I think Howie Carr uh, militated, actually militated against Weinreb. He was there was no way he was going to allow this man. And what he kept pointing out, uh, Howie Carr was that suddenly Weinreb is, is uh, doing things that conservatives have been asking him to do for years. And that is to say, focus on, in Howie Carr's words, uh, illegals. Uh, this, of course, is Howie Carr's huge issue. Right. And he said that Weinreb suddenly, when you start looking at the press releases being released uh, by Christine Sterling, a lot of those press. Christina re- Sterling is the public affairs. That's right, the public uh, affairs uh, head. staffer for the D. Yeah, that's head right, for the, the DOJ. That's here, right. Some of those press releases were pointing out that individuals were in the country undocumented, uh, so on and so forth. Howie Carr insisted heretofore that Weinreb was not at all interested in the in the, in the issue. Again, to quote Howie Carr, of illegals in this country. Well, is there anything to that, Maria? Did Bill Weinreb, do you have any sense of whether he stepped up his aggressiveness on, I think we can say illegal immigration, right? Yeah, if we, indeed. Uh, uh-huh. uh, don't describe the individuals who are immigrating illegally that way. Did he ramp that up because he was hoping for this job at all? Do you have any sense? I would imagine. I, I, you know, I can't. I can't say that that's what was motivating Bill Weinreb. We, but we know for sure that that Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions put out a memo, essentially directing his prosec- his prosecutors to do that, the U.S. attorneys to do that. We are prioritizing people coming into the country illegally. We are prioritizing uh, not just people who've committed uh, crimes um, and shown themselves to be threats to public safety, but people who have also um, repeatedly come into the country illegally, even after being. You know, thrown out. So you could make the argument that Bill Weinreb is do- was doing the job that he was asked to do, and those press releases reflect that. Now, one of the things that Weinreb did point out uh, er- during some of the immigration, ca- high-profile immigration cases that wound up at, in the uh, in the federal court in South Boston uh, this past year, uh, both in January uh, with the uh, travel ban, uh, and then this uh, another case uh, brought by the ACLU was that they did bring in a Washington lawyer from the Justice Department to basically uh, serve as the chief uh, prosecutor in those cases. Uh, You can imagine that uh, that Sessions would love to have someone who could basically represent the administration's frame of reference, legal frame of reference, directly without uh, bringing in a surrogate. Uh, from uh, from Washington. Now they they may do that. Uh, it may happen again. But I think you can almost assume that they would love to have someone in place who prioritized uh, their emphasis on quote unquote illegal uh, immigration. You two have both raised a question, which I got to ask you because I genuinely I have done a little bit of court coverage over the years. I haven't covered the courts the way you two have. To what extent can an individual U.S. attorney in Massachusetts or in any other state, to what extent do they have the latitude to craft their own agenda for the office? And to what extent are they simply implementing the vision that exists in Washington by the attorney general? What, what's, the, what's the story there? That, that's a good question. I, I, you know, I, I have to say that um, it's, to me it's never been fully clear. How how much is is directed by by you know the the the, the, 
the top, the chain of command. You know, if you're looking at it from a chain of command yeah. uh, point of view, how how that's come down. Um, I think you know Carmen Ortiz, for example, had a ton of criticism levied against her for going after public corruption cases that many said was a clear sign of overreach, um, overzealousness. I'm thinking of Sal DeMacy, right? Did she prosecute? She prosecuted the DeMacy case, I believe. She was, did. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. yes. And then, of course, uh, John O'Brien case um, right. and the After Teamsters the big cases. Globe yes. Series um, on probation, yeah. And, of course, Aaron Swartz. Yes. And, of course, you know, we, we know that Brian Joyce is under, sorry, Senator Brian Joyce is under investigation. And there's been, you know, rumblings about what's going on with City Hall. So so there's just been, there's been criticism, criticism levied against her. She, she might make the argument that, you know, she was looking for, for, she she was looking for violations of the law. Uh, she was doing her job, and also that she was adhering to to the directives of the Department of Justice in 2015. We know that there was a memo from then Attorney General Loretta Lynch um, asking for prosecutors to now hold um, corporations, those who commit white collar crimes, accountable. Um, and so, would, you know, can you make the argument that public corruption cases are like white collar crimes and going after corporations? Maybe not, but 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 it, it is it, it is part of that, I guess, arena. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, but but what what I find interesting there is that when Carmen Ortiz was going after these individuals in public corruption cases, the criticism wasn't. Um, against the Department of Justice because, oh, they're making her do this and she's just following suit. The department was against, the criticism was against her. Very she was much the one, so, yeah. She was the one choosing to prosecute these cases. She was the one choosing to bring them um, to court. Well, I, to your question, I mean, they, they all, there's always a degree of autonomy. You look at the former um, uh, U.S. attorney for the eastern uh, New York, uh, Preet, uh, uh, Preet Bahara. Bahara, considered, you know, a hot shot, if you will, a, uh, a, a, a sort of a wonderkind in, in some ways, uh, one of the most high-profile uh, U.S. attorneys uh, in the country. But he, like um, uh, Carmen Ortiz, they serve at the behest of the Justice Department. The first and form, the, the, the legal uh, aspect of this is that you basically follow the prerogatives of the U.S. Justice Department and the Attorney General. That is, that is set, those uh, prerogatives are set in Washington. And of course, you have you deal with uh, there's your own jurisdiction here, but the first and foremost, but first and foremost, you uh, you follow the prerogatives of the U.S. Justice Department. In this case, uh, it was uh, William Holder and then Loretta Lynch in the former administration, and now, of course, it's Jeff Sessions. And uh, the as far as of of, of th- this whole notion of how uh, how she might have proceeded independently of uh, any number of things, you think about the Zarnayev case. She may have wanted the death penalty, but that decision had to be made, finalized in Washington uh, for, for Jahar Zanayev, the bo- uh, Boston Marathon bomber, one of two Boston Marathon bombers. Uh, and so that case, that decision was made by Eric Holder, ultimately, uh, in terms of, uh, of Zarnayev's death. I want to flashback briefly to the point you raised, Maria, about who had President Trump's ear, who may have had President Trump's ear as this appointment was being decided on. We've talked. I think Philip said that. But you were talking. You introduced Howie Carr. I did. That's yeah. right. Okay. I, I'm not sure if he has Trump's ear, but suggesting it's a possibility. So, okay. Now that since, since I, my memory may be incomplete, Philip, yeah. if Maria brought up Howie Carr, what did you bring? Up? I did bring up Howie Carr. Okay, I did bring up Howie Carr, Howie and I Carr. and I do believe that Howie Carr has more influence than we might assume. Okay. It, so I, uh-huh. if if Howie Carr ha- may have had some influence here, I want to know if other. Uh, 
other Republicans might have had influence on this process as well. It was never clear to me if Governor Baker, for example, had much say here, uh, or any other Republican, perhaps Trump loyalists. Obviously, Governor Baker was not and is not a Trump loyalist. So do you have a sense of whether the Republican establishment got to weigh in before this pick was made? Yes, Leah? yes. And I think I think that's fair to say. All three of these candidates, uh, Leah Foley, Bill Weinreb, and Andrew Lelling, the ultimate um, choice of the president, all have Republican credentials, so to speak, because of where they worked or who they worked for. Leah Foley um, worked with Senator Orrin Hatch at one point. So uh, all three of them, you know, had their Republican credentials behind them. And Weinreb had the ties with Rosenstein that you mentioned? Correct. And and um, as we know, uh, Andrew Lelling worked for the Department of Justice at one point under the under the Bush administration, the second Bush administration. So so it, this definitely was a case where, you you know, you needed Republicans to, to back you and help you out and you need to show your Republican c- credentials, which is one of the theories for why Bill Weinreb – his nomination was sunk uh, by the fact that Howie Carr had come out against him and talked about these donations to to Democrats. So, yes. However, it's not as if Democrats also didn't weigh in here. It, it, this this process actually used to go through Ed Kennedy, Senator Ed Kennedy, um, not just um, Carmen Ortiz, but but her predecessor, Mike Sullivan. They basically had to to you know kiss the ring of Edward Kennedy. He had to say it was okay for them to get the nomination, um, and now we don't have that kind of process anymore. It's obviously you know Senator Kennedy's no longer with us, but also that this process was a little bit less formal in, in in that sense. But it's not as if it's not as if Andrew Lelling didn't have to first get the approval of Senator Warren, Senator Markey, because they can blue slip him. That's basically effectively a veto. Of his nomination, they can they can stop um, his nomination, and so he had to he had to present himself to them. I am I, nodding, Maria Kramer, as you talk to make it seem like I knew what you're talking about. But this is all completely <laughs> new to me. This is revelatory. So is that is that a an official protocol, the ability to blue slip or block a nominee, or is it just sort of a convention that's been adhered? It's a to procedure. Long? It's a procedure that they have. They have they have it, that choice. It's a procedure, but I think it's passe. I think it's uh, I and the reason. But it's, it's there, and they can it's, use it's it. It's there. It's it's certainly there. But I I think that the 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 principal uh, determinant for Lelling in this case, uh, besides his credentials, I mean, he had to be qualified without question. And he has many people, I've spoken to other attorneys uh, who are uh, Democrats who consider him eminently uh, qualified. But it is very important. It is no small factor. His his association membership into Federalist Society, the same society that that's helping to choose judges for uh, the Trump administration around the country and that's helping to choose other U.S. attorneys. These are Federalist uh, this, uh, Society uh, recommendations, and it is a very important organization uh, in terms of who is uh, who basically gets the green light, who is considered bona fide in terms of their conservative uh, legal credentials, uh, and Lelling uh, passed a test. Did they publicly go to the mat for Lelling? Well, they did. They publicly went to the mat for uh, for Lelling. And if you look at uh, even our latest uh, uh, Supreme Court uh, justice uh, is a member of the of the Federalist Society, and uh, and many other U.S. attorneys around the country uh, have been basically uh, uh, screened, if you will. Those those who have been nominated have been screened. About a Federalist Society. Very important. You might have mentioned this uh, earlier, Philip, but do we know, um, let me ask both of you, if Andrew Lelling is a constitutional originalist? 
I don't know. Okay. I don't know that either. No, I don't okay, know. and that's, that's I know there's shades of meaning here, but does he believe that the Constitution needs to be interpreted the way it was written uh, for the time it was written? So every now and then it's you'll a, hear that someone has given a speech. It's, it's a really good question, but, but I don't know yet. But okay. I, it's that's an ex- and you know, I, I don't know that you, I don't know that prosecutors typically answer that question. Um, I, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm just wondering if that was posed to Carmen Ortiz or Mike Sullivan would they after they secure the nomination and the Senate confirm them, if you know, in interviews with reporters, that's a great question. I wonder if it's been asked before. Yeah, yeah, it it, it really is. It's it's a question that's normally asked of judges, right? Uh, it's I've I've rarely heard that question asked of of U.S. Uh, U.S. attorneys, though it's a good one for U.S. attorneys. So, what happens? next from this point forward? What has to occur for Andrew Lelling to get the job he's been nominated for? It's pretty simple. I mean, essentially, he's going to be confirmed by the Senate. And it's not something that's expected to be hindered by anything, by politics. He's he's, he's got the all clear, essentially. And uh, it, it should take about 50 days. Um, from when he was first announced, and he was announced, uh, what was it, week two ago? weeks ago? Two weeks ago. That's so, right. uh-huh. and it should be a matter of a couple of months, and he'll be he'll be sworn in. Yeah, He's, I think I think that's absolutely right. I, I don't see any uh, any anything standing in his way, including Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren, and and Markey. I don't see uh, their uh, them basically uh, standing as an impediment to uh, to this nomination. Final question for the two of you. The biggest public corruption case that we're aware of that's going on right now in Massachusetts involves the administration of Boston Mayor Marty Walsh and a couple of high-level Walsh staffers. They are, I think, slated to go on trial at the January. start of 2018. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marty Walsh has not been, as far as we know or as far as I know, directly uh, sort of caught up in this case. There's been a lot of speculation by those of us who like to wantonly speculate about whether he might be <laughs> Is there any extra reason in the wake of this appointment for Mayor Walsh to feel a level of nervousness that he might not have felt before Trump got his man at the DOJ or not? Is that just not the way the DOJ works? I I think it's hard to say. Um, I would imagine. All right. I can't I'm, I can't speculate as to what Andrew Lelling wants to do with that case, but I can't imagine that he is so enthusiastic to see what's going to happen in this trial, given that there was an acquittal most recently of the Teamsters in the Top Chef case, and the appeals court just overturned two convictions um, in a similar case from 2014. So these... You know, the, these these extortion cases um, connected to unions are not going very well for the U.S. Attorney's Office. I, I, I don't know how much enthusiasm Andrew Lennon is really going to have for, for this upcoming trial. I couldn't have said it better. All right. <laughs> I think well, she's spot on. In that case, let's <laughs> leave it there. That is going to do it for this episode of The Scrum. Maria Kramer, newly minted legal affairs correspondent, legal affairs reporter yes. for the Boston Globe. Thank you, Thank you for uh, making the long trip over here to Brighton. And Philip Martin, thank you for walking downstairs with me. <laughs> thank you both. Thank you. <laughs> and as always, thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen. Peter Kadzis and I would love it if you subscribed to The Scrum on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't already done that. We'd also be grateful if you left us a review while you're at it. And we always love to hear from you with ideas, comments, or criticism. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Riley Adam. He is at Kadzis. You can also reach us by email at scrum at wgbhnews.org. We'll have another new episode waiting for you in two weeks. That one will feature Peter. Until then, thanks again for listening. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. Welcome back. Welcome back.